All right, I have some announcements. This afternoon at 2.30 is our quarterly family meeting. If you're a member of the church and you're able to make it, then we give some information about uh, our progress over the last quarter and some things that are coming up. So if you can be here for that, then I encourage you to do so. 2.30 this afternoon, we normally don't go more than an hour. And that just depends on do we have a lot of questions, but normally we're able to finish by 3.30. So it's in the middle of your afternoon, but it won't uh, take terribly long. Family meeting at 2.30. And then this Wednesday is the second of nine sessions in the Financial Peace University. That's a series by Dave Ramsey's organization. If you didn't attend the first one this past Wednesday, then you only missed one. So we're not too deep into it. You can uh, attend. If you want to register for that and get your materials for this Wednesday, you can do that at the Resource Center, which is out that back door and across the hall. So do that before you leave today. It is a costly series. It's $93. And if you can't afford to do that or you don't have the money right now and you want to do it in payments, you want to do it uh, uh, any any way you want to do it, uh, we're happy to make arrangements. If you can't do it at all, uh, we still want you to, to take it. So if you can't uh, afford that, then don't let that keep you from, from taking it. Get your materials before you leave today. That's this Wednesday at 6.30 in, in this room. Next Sunday afternoon is our next baptism. It's at 5 in the afternoon. And then after that, we'll have a celebration dinner, as we always do. We have five folks getting baptized, and we encourage all of you to come, uh, even if you don't know who's getting baptized, and, it, and I don't advertise who's getting baptized, because I don't want it to matter. Uh, I want our church family to do your best if you're in town and able to come to come because it's a baptism that the church family is engaging in. And we have people joining our family through the waters of baptism. So it's always an encouraging time. And if you can come, then please do. That'll be next Sunday at uh, at five o'clock. Now, for that baptism, we have the celebration dinner, as I mentioned, and the food for the dinner in part depends on you. The church supplies the main dish. Then we have a number of side dishes for that, and we've got them on a menu. And that menu is emerging as I talk. The menu is coming through the door in the hands of Tracy and Jim. Tracy has two clipboards and Jim has two. So we've got a total of four sections. One is going to start at the back of that section, the other at the back of this one. All four sections will have a clipboard with a menu on it. And it's going to come forward. And here's the way the, the clipboard comes forward. Is that you pass it to the person next to you unless you're on the end. And if you're on the end, then it goes to the row in front of you. And if you're in the front row, then just leave it there in the front row and we'll pick them up afterwards. Now, if everybody's able to color within the lines and follow what I just said, everything will be good. It worked out beautifully last uh, last week. All the clipboards wound up in the front. But not all the spots were filled for the menu. So that's why the menu is going out again to get uh, some more of that filled in. So if you can do that, you'll see the spots and the things we need. And if you can help with it, that'll be great. Okay, pass it to the person next to you. If you're on the end, pass it to the row in front of you. And then all of them, all four of them should wind up in the front. That's baptism next week. On the 22nd, which is a Wednesday, one week from this Wednesday, one week from this Wednesday, We have a a coordinators meeting. So those of you that are ministry coordinators, you lead an area of ministry in the church. That meeting at 7 o'clock on Wednesday the 22nd is for you. I'll be sending you an email to remind you about that. But if you can mark that on your calendar, 
It is to give you some information about the upcoming fall program that will help you in your ministry. But also, uh, we need to get some information from the coordinators as well. So Wednesday the 22nd at 7 o'clock. Almost done. Backyard Fellowship on Wednesday the 29th. So two weeks from this Wednesday, we have a Backyard Fellowship at the Brinkley's house. And uh, just mark that on your calendar. It's always a great time. And then on Friday night, August the 7th, is our Mud Hens game. We're going to go to the Toledo Mud Hens. We've got a block of tickets, as we do each year. Uh, The tickets are available for $10 in the Resource Center. And our group is singing the national anthem for that. So you'll want to make sure you get there uh, before the first pitch uh, if you want to hear our group sing the national anthem. But buy your tickets for the Mud Hens game in the Resource Center. All right. Today we start a series that I call Mind Games. Mind Games. And as we go through these weeks together, you will see that the premise of this uh, study is that the mind is the, is the source of what we say and of what we do. So the game, as it were, of the Christian life is won and lost in the recesses of our minds. And I've had opportunity to interact with people enough over the years that I know that many people do not understand the importance of how they think. What we focus on is not first how we think, but we focus on first what we do or what we say rather than our thoughts. And as a result of that, what we tend to do in the Christian life and in life in general is we try to manage our behavior. So we need to learn not to do X. So stay away from situations that would tempt you to do X. If you have an anger problem, we tend to call, we say you need to take some anger what classes? Anger, right? So you got to learn to manage your anger so that you don't blow up. So that you don't fire a gun. So that you don't throw stuff. So that you don't scream and shout. Whatever your form of anger is, you don't want to do that. And so let's come up with some creative ways for you not to do that. Well, if those are our only choices, and it keeps you from shooting the gun, or throwing stuff, or yelling stuff, then I'm all for anger management. But the Bible goes deeper than that. The Bible is not simply interested in us changing what we do outwardly. God is interested in us changing what we are inwardly. So that what we then do outwardly is an expression of that. It means then we need to do more than management. It means that we've got to do more than come up with techniques to keep us from getting ourselves in trouble. So we try to avoid certain things that we do. We try to avoid certain things we say. So to manage that, we say, listen, you have got to learn to bite your tongue. Well, again, if biting your tongue keeps you from yelling a blue streak at me, then please bite your tongue. But biting your tongue doesn't go far enough. Because the reason it's on your tongue is because you're thinking about it. 
This is why, then, I am convinced that so few Christian people actually make progress in sanctification. Now, with that sentence that I just said is a sad, sad sentence indeed, if there's any truth to it at all. Many Christians make little or no progress in sanctification. Now, sanctification means to be set apart. It's the continual process of being set apart. To put it simply, it means to gradually, over time, become more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus, yes, in what I do. More and more like Jesus, yes, in what I say. But more and more like Jesus in what I think as well. But part of the reason that so few Christians make progress in that is because we focus on the stuff we do and the stuff we say rather than the root, which is what we think. And if you don't get to the root, then you will regularly be seeing the ill fruit in our words and in our actions. So this is the way it goes with too many Christian people. Change doesn't happen. Change doesn't happen much, if at all. We think we have it. We see ourselves as having it fairly together. You know, we're just, you know, look at the group here. We're just all fairly average, middle-class people who every now and then need a little bit of an adjustment. So God, church, are kind of like a weekly visit to the chiropractor. I get a little out of sorts, so I need an adjustment. Now, the chiropractor, though, knows that you've got actually bigger problems than you think. Because he actually gets to do like an exam, you know, an x-ray. And he sees that you have scoliosis. And he sees how bad your scoliosis is. And does it come as a surprise to you to know that scoliosis is actually a Bible word? It actually comes from a Greek word used in your New Testament. And it's translated corrupt in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. It's translated crooked in Philippians chapter 2 and 15. So scoliosis is actually a Bible word. And your chiropractor knows you need actually more than you think you do. And God knows that you need more than you think you do. If all we think we need is a little tweaking so that I don't fly off the handle, so that I don't do that particular particular thing. So here's what happens then, friends. When outward conformity is good enough for us. So outward conformity, I can hang with church types like you all. And I can conform pretty much to the environment. You know, I know what the limits are. I know the stuff I should say and I shouldn't say. You know, so you'll keep me in check and I'll keep you in check. And that's all fine. But when outward conformity then is good enough, then it leaves whole categories of sin completely untouched. Categories like sins of attitude. Sins of thought. Of word, sins of omission, 
And as a result then of that, Christianity becomes ugly. Because it's just a bunch of people who get together. I mean, they still gossip. Lord knows. (laughs) They gossip to high heaven. But that's not as bad as what the world does, right? I mean, the world does like really bad stuff. I mean, they do bad things. I, I read the paper and I watch, you know, the news. And look at all the bad things they do. We don't do those things because we're focused on things you shouldn't do. We don't do them, at least not that much. So we don't do them. There are things, you know, the world says. We don't say them. If nothing else, we've learned to censor our mouths. So the kind of stuff you'll hear in the world coming out of the mouth of somebody's, you know, you guys didn't hear it when you were doing Cafe Community. And if you did, let me know. But, but you did, right? We know, how to, we know how to conform. But when outward conformity is good enough, friends, I am telling you, Christianity, it is a pale reflection of what one Christianity is to be, and Christianity actually becomes ugly. Because it's people who get together, they've got this outside veneer cleaned up, but there are still these hard issues that keep revealing themselves and manifesting themselves. And the world sees that, and they go, why would I want that? Christianity becomes ugly, and the Christian life becomes stale. I mean, I really got nothing else to grow into, right? We all kind of know the lingo. We all know the routine. You show up at church. You know how to interact. You know how to look. You do all of that. You avoid the big outward behavioral sins for the most part. The big outward and obvious verbal sins for the most part. And then as a result of that, we figure we're okay. It's good enough. And yet we've got all of this other stuff going on. Going on in our hearts, going on in our minds. Going on in places that are not church on Sunday morning. And if you have children, they know what's going on because they see it Monday through Saturday. If you have a spouse, he or she sees it because they're with you all the time. But you've adopted an approach that says outward conformity is good enough And most of your friends at church have done the same thing. And as a result of that, change happens all too little. And all the while that that's happening, we're going to church and we're talking the part. Now, with that, what I'd like to give you is what I call the anatomy of action. The anatomy of action. I mean, This is how an act, a behavior, comes to fruition. So I want to start with the act itself, but then I want to get to the things that underlie the action. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to assume that you, like me, are convicted enough to say, Lord, I want more than just outward conformity. 
Lord, I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not only in, I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus in what I do, but also in what I say and also in what I think. And if that's the case for you, as I trust it is, then let's look at how we normally think of the things we do and how the things we do arise and manifest themselves. So first is the act itself. Behavior. I do something. And I do something wrong. Uh, Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, you struggle with drinking. And I'm using drinking because that's not the problem for most of the people in here. And if it is the problem, it is the problem for you. I'm not trying to zero in on you. Because there are lots of other actions, but I'm just using an example, okay? But let's say the issue is, let's say the issue is, is drinking and struggling with, with drinking. That's a, that's a behavior. Now, why do we focus on the behavior? You could fill in whatever else it is. Like I said earlier, anger, outbursts of anger, angry actions. But we focus, first of all, upon the act. Now, why do we focus on the act? Here's why. Because the act is obvious. It's overt. It's an action. It's a behavior. So we focus on that because that's what we see and also it's what other people see. Now, if you only focus on the act because that's the thing that people see, then what does that tell you about your priorities, your spiritual priorities? Your spiritual priority is to make sure that what people see is good. But what does God see? God sees the act, right? But God sees all the stuff that goes with and accompanies and precedes the act. God sees all of that. But if we're honest, the truth is we're more concerned about the action because that's what people see, forgetting the fact that God sees the whole bit. So the anatomy of action starts with the behavior, the act itself. That's where we focus because it's overt, it's obvious, people know about it, and it's often harmful. If it's a sinful behavior, it's harmful. It's harmful to you and or others. So we focus on that for for all of those reasons. Now again, I want to invoke God here though. Isn't it true that every sin we commit, even if it's not an overt act, is harm, harmful to God in the sense that it's an offense against our God. But we tend to focus on the horizontal plane. What's harmful to other people? What's harmful to us? So the anatomy of action starts with the act. We focus there because it's obvious and overt. People know about it and it's often harmful to them or us. Then the next level is word, our words. So there's what we do, and that's very external and obvious, but then there's the, what we say, and that also. And you could subsume that under an act. Speaking is an action, and it, too, is, is obvious. But the reason I have them separated is because very often what we say precedes what we do. I talk about it before I do it. 
you know, if I'm going to blow up in anger, before I blow up however it is I blow up, I might mumble about it. You know, you might curse the person under your breath or you know, whatever. And then you do it. So most often we say it before we do it. Now, we may not say it audibly. We may not say it out, out loud. But we're saying it internally. Either audibly or internally. An internal thought process, an internal deliberation in my mind. Which brings you then to the, the third level. You got the act, you got our words, but then you got our thoughts, which form those words, inform those words. So I'm thinking about it. And I'm saying it audibly or I'm saying it internally. But that's all because I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. And then there's actually another level. Many of you probably thought we were done with the act and the word and the thought. But there's actually another level, the deepest level, which are my desires. Because my desires inform my thoughts, my thoughts inform my words, and my words, whether audibly or internally, precede my actions. So if you really want to get to the root of it, rather than just dealing with the outside and the external actions, you've got to get to the root, which are our desires, which feed our thoughts, which inform our words, which precede our actions. Now, I've just been yapping here for 30 minutes. And you may be thinking, he's making all that up. Because we haven't opened the Bible as yet. But if you have your Bible, take a look at James chapter 4. And verse 1. What causes fights? But it's not just left at fights, it's fights and quarrels. So the question is, what causes fights? And the reason you got both fights and quarrels is because of the fights are actually physical altercations. Quarrels are verbal altercations. But what causes both of them? And then the answer is given in verse 1. Don't they come from your desires? That battle within you. Verse 2 says you want something, but you don't get it. Now, the want and the desires, those are related. I desire something, I want something, I don't get it. So then that results in tension, which often manifests itself in quarrels and maybe even fights. But notice the root is the, is the desires. Now, the quarrels are our words. But then you've got thoughts, and I, and I do admit, James here doesn't give the four-point hierarchy here of the thoughts. He goes from the desires straight to the uh, words and then the, and then the actions. But thought is going on all of that, all of that time. 
I want something and I have to be thinking about it because verse 2 says I don't get it. I mean, I deserve whatever it is. And I'm thinking to myself, I haven't gotten it. So as a result of that, I yell at you. I say something unkind to you. I fight with you. And so, verse 2, you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong. Now, notice again the relationship of wants and desires. you got wrong motives. And you want to spend what you get on your pleasures. So here's what James is saying. He's saying that you've got these desires. And I'll explain that whole desire thing in a moment. But you've got these. And you've got these desires. You want something or you want someone. You haven't gotten that something or that someone. What you should do is ask God for the things you want. But be aware, end of verse 3, that when you ask God, you won't receive... If your motivation is selfish. So yes, I should ask God, but I should ask God for those things that are for my ultimate good and his glory. Not my vain glory. Now, what is it when I do that then? What is it when I have these desires that then lead to words and actions? These selfish desires. Well, let me explain what the desires are. Many of you have heard me say before that, notice it does not say here, evil desires. If you have a King James, it says in verse 1 that these fights and quarrels come from your lusts that war within you. So you read that in the King James and you immediately say, well, these are sinful desires, they're lusts. But in actuality, the desire itself may be neutral. The desire may be for something like, Peace and quiet. So I come home from work, I want peace and quiet. And I'm driving home, and I've got a 45-minute commute to get home, and the traffic's lousy, and the whole week's gone bad, and I haven't made a sale all week. And I'm just looking forward to crashing in an easy chair and being able to relax for a bit. And when I get home, I can't get in the driveway. You know why I can't get in the driveway? Because the kids have their bikes laying there. Now, the bikes have kickstands where they could put them in an orderly fashion somewhere out of my car's way. But no, they're just sprawled out there. So I've got to park on the street and I've got to go. I've got to walk farther. So now I'm really upset. Okay. And then when I walk in the door... You know, I'm looking forward to relaxing, but the house looks like a bomb went off. And your spouse has had a tough day, especially if you've got a little one or little ones, yikes, plural ones. And they've had a rough day, and then you come into that. Now you're ready to just explode. And perhaps you do. Now the thing you wanted was not an evil thing. Peace and quiet. The thing you wanted was not the problem. The problem was you wanted the thing more than you wanted to be like Jesus. You wanted peace and quiet more than you wanted godliness in that moment. 
So the desires are sometimes desires for evil, but sometimes they are desires for good ends. The desire itself can be quite neutral, but the desire has become too important to you. And as a result of that, that's why verse 4 says, you adulterous people. I mean, it seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, okay, I fly off the handle every now and then. Okay, me and my spouse every so often have marital adjustment sessions. Those are sometimes known as fights and quarrels. So sometimes we have those, but doesn't everybody? That's the way we think. I mean, doesn't everybody? Isn't that natural? Now, friends, before I move on, can I really encourage you to lose, lose the doesn't everybody, isn't it natural approach to the Christian life? Because here's the thing. You're a Christian, which means, forgive the grammar, you ain't everybody. So we don't care. God, God doesn't care that everybody does that. What God cares about is what you do. Because you're one of that minority of people that are his peculiar people, his very own possession. You're not like everybody else. So it doesn't do you any good to say, but doesn't everybody? And isn't it natural? Yeah, it's natural. (laughs) And you know what your nature is? And you know what my nature is? The Bible says we have a sin nature. So lose the doesn't everybody and isn't it natural? And that's why verse 4 has this harsh language. You adulterous people. Yeah, this is a really big deal. When you want whatever or whomever it is more than you want godliness. It's a really big deal. And so James says it's tantamount to spiritual adultery. And says, do you not know, verse 4, that friendship with the world is war, enmity against God? Let's just step back for a minute. Remember where we started. (laughs) We started with, hey, we're middle class Christian people. Every now we need a little bit of adjustment. Church helps me with that adjustment. I know how to conform, do the, the stuff. But the good news is I'm not like the world. And notice what James says. He goes, yeah, you are. Because you're demonstrating friendship with the world when you commit this spiritual adultery because your heart, your desires, your wants, your motivations are captured by someone or something other than the Lord your God. And when that's the case, then you're like the world. That's friendship with the world. So this thing that you've been blowing off for years, where, you know, yeah, I, you know, I I struggle with, you know, my anger, but doesn't everybody and isn't it natural? And, you know, and yet, you know, it really gets to me sometimes and then I have to go back and apologize, you know, but, you know, overall, I'm a good guy. Overall, I'm a good gal. I mean, if you compare me to, and then you start doing that. And I will just grant to you, and I don't even know everybody here, and I certainly don't know what goes on and what the struggles are with everybody here, but I'll just grant to you, everybody here is better than most people out there. Better in the sense that 
You pay your taxes and you don't cheat on them much. And you work and you support your family and you vote and you're a good citizen. So you're a good guy or a good gal. And a lot of people don't even do those things. Don't work, don't support, don't vote. Okay, so let's all pat ourselves on the back. We're better. But now, so what? Because the goal here is not for me to be better than most people out there. The goal here is for me to be like Jesus. So James says it's spiritual adultery when you do this. And then goes on to say that the spirit that he caused to live within you envies intensely. Now that envy... The idea is that the spirit is jealous, is envious. Jealous for what? Envious for what? Envious for the heart that keeps committing adultery, spiritual adultery, by being lured away to other things and other persons. And the spirit then has a dog in that fight. That fight that's given back up in verse 1. Those desires that battle war within you. The Spirit says, I'm a part of that battle. Because I want to capture your heart. Your heart belongs to me, the Lord your God. And your desires, even neutral or good desires, they belong to me. And they are not more important than being conformed to me and being like me. And if we do that, if we see what James is saying here and see what the real root is and how serious it is, then we will stop doing what I started with, which is I've got it pretty much together. Little adjustment every Sunday or so is good for me, but I'm pretty good. And there's not really root change that takes place. So if you guys buy all of that, then over the next few weeks, I would like for us to delve into what I call mind games. How the things we desire translate into the way we we think. And then in turn affect the way we talk and the way we behave. And along the way, I would like to point out some of the very common fallacious ways of thinking. Thinking about ourselves. Thinking about others. Thinking about God. But all the time, man, you are thinking. All the time, your mind is going and transacting. All the time. And you're thinking about yourself. And you're thinking about other people. And you're thinking about what they did. And you're thinking about why they did it. And you're processing all of this stuff mentally. And I'm, I'm telling you, as we go through this together, I, would, I will guarantee you, That many of you will see patterns of thinking that you've been doing for years. That are keeping you from taking the next step in growing in Christ-likeness. So I'd like to go through that. Now, in the final few minutes, let me introduce then next week. 
So where do, where do these thoughts come from? Where do these patterns of thinking come from? The ultimate root is, as James 4 says, our, our desires, our wants, our motivations. Where do, my, where do my particular kinds of thoughts come from? The patterns of thinking that are characteristic of me, where do I, where do I get them? And if you've been around here much in the past, you've heard me say this a decent bit because I believe it is a, a major um, category of understanding that Scripture teaches and that, we need to, and that we need to grasp. And that is my patterns of behavior, my patterns of speaking, my patterns of thinking come to me from two sources. They come to me from my heredity, and from my environment. They come to me from what I am naturally, and they come to me from how I was nurtured. And we're all different in our nature and our nurture. So in order for you to start to see the patterns for how you think, and then how that comes out in the way you talk and the way you act, you want to do a little bit of analysis about well, what is my nature and what is my nurture. What am I like? What are my tendencies? You know, what are my strengths and my weaknesses? Uh, Back a series we did last year, as I was talking about some of this, I said for myself I've had to do that, that same kind of analysis. And I know what some of my strengths are. And here's what I've learned about myself and about you. Our strengths, if taken just a little too far, become our greatest weaknesses. Some of the things that help me the most, if I take them too far, they become problems for me and for other people. I'll give one example. One strength that I have is to be able to think things through in a sequential, logical fashion. Comes in handy in a lot of stuff. Got decisions you've got to make, decisions for the church you've got to make, you've got to deliberate about things. It comes in handy to be able to think about if we do this, then we need to do that, and we need to do that, and this is how those things will affect each other, and it comes in handy. So that's a strength. Now, that taken too far can become a weakness. But for today, I just want to leave it at the strength. I don't want to talk about the weakness. All right, fine, I'll talk about the weakness uh, piece of it. But you see, we all think differently. And over the years, I've tended to think that everybody thinks that way. So I get together with people, and I talk about something, and I go through this thing, and then they're not getting it. And so all I need to do is repeat it again, right? But this time, repeat it with a little more oomph. All right, here, did you hear what I said? Here are the five things we got to do, all right? And then if you don't get it that time, then the five things we got to do, okay? And then the person's like, dude, you're mad at me. And I'm going, yeah, you're right. But you see how that goes. Something that's a strength can easily become a weakness. So you've got to have that self-awareness. I've got to have that self-awareness about what I'm like naturally. But then there's also what I've seen modeled in front of me in my environment nurtured. And some of you have grown up in environments where your first reaction to something that could go wrong is to 
conclude it will go wrong. So you lived with a bunch of people who worried all the time. Well, now you've learned worrying behavior. Now you put those natural tendencies with those nurturing tendencies and you're going to have particular temptations in your desires, in your thoughts that come out in your words and in your actions. So over the next few weeks, I would like for us to look at the mind games that go on. The battle for the Christian life is ultimately won in the heart, but it's expressed in the way we think. The desires of the heart are expressed in the way we think, and that comes out in the way we talk and in the way we act. So instead of taking it backwards, which is what all of us do, Start with the behavior because that's the most important, because that's the most harmful, because that's what people see. Or instead of looking at the words and just learning how to manage that and to bite your tongue, because that comes out and everybody sees it and they all know, then know I'm a jerk and we don't, I don't want people to think of me as a jerk and I don't want to hurt people with my words and so I gotta learn not to do that. Instead of focusing on the actions and the words, we want to focus on the thoughts and the desires that give rise to those thoughts. Let's ask God to help us this week. I hope if nothing else this week, we will all be more mindful, no pun intended, but more aware of the fact that we are transacting and thinking all the time and that the battle of the mind is paramount. So think about how that affects your interactions with people. Think about how that affects your personal well-being this week. When you start to descend into melancholy, depression, I don't mean clinical depression. When you start to descend in that this week, start thinking about thinking. Start thinking about how I'm thinking and how it takes me there. Let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you for instructing us. In your book that knows the thoughts, is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. We thank you for the word of God because indeed it is your word. It is the word, the written instruction of God omniscient who knows all things and all people and all hearts and all circumstances. And you have written a book, though its last page was penned nearly 2,000 years ago, that is as relevant today as when it was first written because it comes from the mind of God. And Lord, because your mind is expressed there, then it knows my mind and what I am like and what I need. And so, Lord, thank you for that. I pray that you will help us this week to think about our thinking and help us in the weeks ahead to be able to pinpoint the particular ways that each of us thinks and that cause us internal turmoil and external turmoil with one another. And as a result of that, may we truly then begin to grow. May we truly begin to be set apart. May we truly begin to see progress into becoming more like Jesus. Yes, in what we do. And yes, in what we say. But rooted in what we want and what we think. Go with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.